big point, but still at a point, that you look over there and you see all the things that we've done, and we have not yet seen any money from the bank. And so we're still doing that. We praise God. Uh, we praise God for that, uh, that we can, uh, we can do that. And so we still don't owe anything. If we were to stop today, we, would, we might owe a little bit, but not much. And so we just praise God for that. And thank you for your giving. And if you have not yet given, I pray that you will and pray over it and pray what the Lord will have you give. We appreciate all of it. And you know, one of the things I'm glad for, I'm thankful for those people that you give a lot, I really am. But I'm also thankful for those people that just give a little bit. And I hope and pray that that's how they feel when they get this. It's no big deal because we have one big donor. I got one big donor, I'll thank him, I'll tell you that right now. But yeah, but anyway, we do it. Well, let me, let me, but I appreciate those people that whatever you can give and let the Lord, you give it unto the Lord and let the Lord uh, bless you uh, because of that. Well, I want, I want uh, if you have your Bibles, you turn over to chapter 14 of the book of Proverbs, chapter 14. Now, I have another message coming on the second coming on, on because I want to do, I want to stay in uh, Philippians 4 and see where the Lord takes us there. But I feel like today I've got something else that God is pressing me on this. Before I do that, let me, let me, you know, when we have church bulletins, we have that, and sometimes church bulletins, they have mistakes in them, and they put things in there, and they, they write them, and then they don't realize what's really in there. So let me just uh, give you a few of these on the church bulletin. This says this in one church bulletin. It says, a bean supper will be held on Tuesday evening at the church hall. Music will follow. Uh, at evening, uh, evening service tonight, the the sermon topic will be, What is Hail? Come early and listen to our choir. So, uh, Miss Charlene May saying, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. Uh, uh, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's, it's uh, time to get rid of all those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husband. Um, Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. Please use the large double doors at the side entrance. <laughs> you know, I can get shot on some of these, y'all. <laughs> uh, the low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday. Please use the back door. <laughs> yeah, boy, you can't laugh. Well, I'm probably going to get in trouble on this message, but I, you know, so you know, I probably will mess things up. So whatever. But uh, here's the, let me give you the title of this message today, and the title of this message is "Vote to Turn Your Nation Back to God." And I mean, I I believe this is one of the most important elections maybe in the history of this country. I believe you've got to go all the way back to 19, excuse me, 1860, 1865, when Abraham Lincoln was elected president. The results of those two elections are a result of what happened in that, that time. You think about it. 650,000 men died because of the Civil War. We need God in the middle of this country like we've never needed before. But I want to Proverbs 30. I'm just going to read one verse, and then we'll get into the other section. 
against God. And the people plot a vain thing. An empty thing. And it is an empty thing because God's coming one of these days. And verse 2 says, And the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed saying. Against what? His anointed saying. And then it goes on. Here's what they say. Let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. What does that say? It says, we don't want any rules. The third part of, of, of Black Lives Matter, one of their mission statement was, we want to be able to do what we want to do when we want to do it, and nobody should be able to tell us that we can't do it. Let us break the bonds and the, and the cast away the cords from us. We want to be able to do whatever we want to do, and nobody, anyone, should be able to tell us what we can do and what we can't do. But the truth of the matter is, in verse 4, it says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall hold them in derision. He's laughing at it. He's laughing at it. Jesus said that we should render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and God's what is God. And I really believe that by rendering unto Caesar, I really believe that He would include in that that we need to take a stand. That we need to stand and vote as best we can. In Romans 13, verse 1 through 7, he tells us about our responsibility to government. He says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authority, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So every ruler, every person that's over us, has there in that... I don't care. Listen. If, if whoever gets in this presidency, God has to put them in there. Now we, want, we have a responsibility to try to do what's right, but I'm telling you right now, whoever's in there, we're, listen, we're, Donald Trump is not my Savior. Joe Biden is not my Savior. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I live my life according to the precepts of Jesus Christ, not according to what Washington, D.C. But I go on here and it goes on to say, Therefore, whoever resists this authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. It's just telling us that the, He's given them that authority. For rulers are not terrors to do good work, but evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good and you will have to pray from the faith. For He is a good minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For He does not bear the sword in vain, but He is a good minister to avenge or execute wrath on Him who practices evil. God says, what does that say? He's saying He's given the police the authority to enact the law. The very reason that we got people out there that don't want to do that and want to do away with the police is for one reason. They don't want the authority. They don't want to enact the law. And God has given the policemen that authority to be able to do that. And he goes on to say that they have practiced evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. And then he says this, verse 7, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs due, fear to whom fear is, and honor to whom honor. And I believe one of the ways that we do that we honor is by simply doing this, by voting. By voting. You know, I believe we need to speak 
except for the Lord. And the, when there's no greater way Christian people would just go, But I read in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, I read that righteousness exalts a nation, and that sin is a reproach to many people. When God is separated from government, judgment follows. Letters that I have read of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, all started with a democracy and free men. And women cannot exist without morality, and you cannot have morality without religion based upon God. And believe me, when they wrote these, they were talking about Judeo-Christian belief systems. When I look at some of the things that are happening in this country, in the history that I've read, I, leave, I see a parallelness. And I see a parallelness between what's happening today in America and what happened in Germany. I'm not saying we're there yet, but I'm saying I see some, some things that are starting to rear their ugly heads that reminds me of what took place in, in Germany. When Adolf Hitler gained uh, control of Germany in the 1930s, he did not discourage people from going to church. People went to church. It's unbelievable that when six million people died in Germany, that the church was doing right on. And when, when the Allies finally got into Berlin to take control of Berlin, and they went and they saw the Holocaust, they saw the, uh, the, the bodies of people that were stacked up like logs, and they were trying to burn them in ovens, and they couldn't burn them quick enough. When they saw that, they went into the town and got town people to come out and to have to bury those people. They lived in this. How in the world, tell me, how in the world can we as church people, when we see some of the things go on in this country, can we stand and not get involved? I don't know how we can do that. I don't know how we can turn our back on it and just say, hey, or, or the church who when they heard the cars coming down, the railroad cars with all the prisoners inside who died standing up, many of them, when they heard them coming, they decided what they were going to do. They were going to end their church. They were going to sing hymns, and they sang songs. And if the, if the louder the cries, the louder they sang until they finally just drowned out all the things that were being told or the cries of those people. Hitler was baptized a Catholic, but uh, who long abandoned his faith. But he did not mind if others continued to attend church as long as it did not affect the way they lived. Was that not church today? Oh, oh, we want you to go to church. Oh, yeah, we lose freedom of religion. Oh, yeah, you ought to be able to go to church. But just, you can't bring it into the, uh, the public arena. The cheerleaders in Texas decided they didn't want to have big signs with the football players run out, and they decided they decided that what they wanted to hold up was something like "I can do all things through Christ who who, who strengthens me" or, or something like that. And so they made these signs to put up like that religious signs. And the, uh, um, this was in Texas. The, the the ACLU signed a lawsuit against those that group of cheerleaders in Texas to say they couldn't do that. Can't pray in public anymore. Now we have a, a 
a point of silence. Of silence. We can't mean the name. We can't mention the name of Jesus anymore. Do you know how many school systems now? Can no longer the children can have a Christmas party. They can have a holiday time. Is what we say. And we say, well, well, Lee, what's wrong? Listen, it's just one thing after another thing after another thing until one of these days we're gonna we're gonna wake up and we're gonna see what's happening. You can go to church as long as. It doesn't affect the way they live and the value they held. And he even said that he would not interfere with specific doctrines of the church just as long as the church were teaching those things that were in harmony with the good of the German people that the state decided. He called this the people's Christianity. Worship had to be private. You can worship in private. You just can't be out in the public and and share what you need to share. Hitler believed that he could crush any opposition, and he did by intimidation and continually threatening Christians. Pastors were paid by the state. Do you know in Chicago, Illinois, that many of the church's retirement funds of the pastors are paid by the by the government in Chicago? Why would they do that? You know exactly why they would do that, so they could control what the pastor said to the congregation. Now, so, you know, so, uh, you know, so right from the start, Hitler sought to marginalize the church, which at the end he would destroy the church, for he said the state would have to be scrubbed clean of all Christian convictions and values. Men like Martin Niemöller and Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up to Hitler. Hitler called a meeting, and, when, and he bought, brought in all the clergymen and told them to confine themselves to the church. And I, he, says, he says, I want you to confine yourself to the church. And I'm telling you, this is what's being said to us today. Confine yourself to the church. And then Hitler said this, I will take care of the German people. That's what he said. Niemöller realized that this might be the last time he had a chance to speak he spoke up, and when he did, all those other pastors in that room, they all took a step back from Hitler. He faced Hitler face to face, and he said, we too are Christians and churchmen and have a responsibility towards German people. And that responsibility was entrusted to us by God. And, and he said, and he goes on, he says this, and neither you nor anyone else in the world has the power to take it from us. One of the hardest things I've had to endure in this time of the, of the coronavirus is being told I can't come to the hospital. There are people in the hospital that have died, and they've died alone, and their people can't, and, and, and their families cannot be there. Now, I know, you know, I, I don't know. Hitler turned and walked away from without a word. That same night, eight Gestapo men ransacked Niemöller's church, and a few days later, a bomb was exploded in the hall of that church. 2,000 pastors who had stood with Niemöller withdrew their support from Niemöller and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Is that what we do? We withdraw from speaking out 
And let's ask what we, what we have done when the evil has been courted in this country. When prayer was being taken out of the schools, where, where were we? When the Ten Commandments were being taken off the walls, where were we? When the Supreme Court approved same-sex marriage, where were we? When Roe versus Wade was passed, where were the cries of the innocent for innocent babies? Hitler said the best way to conquer your enemies is to divide them, and he came up with a plan that the state would take the place of the church. The state would have a ceremony. I want you to listen to this because this is down the road we're heading. The state would have a ceremony to dedicate infants. The state would have its own holidays without the need of Christian holidays. Weddings would be performed by the state. Children would be indoctrinated into the, uh, the Nazi way of thinking. After all, it takes a village to raise a child. Maybe saying, Lee, this will never happen in the United States. And I've had people look at me in the face, but I, you know, I've had people look at me and say, well, you, Lee, you're just a, a conspirator. John Whitehead, in his book, The Separation of Religion from American Public Life, said political correctness has now affected the general culture and created an aura of censorship and a climate of fear. The public arena, we're now so afraid to say anything to anybody else or to take a stand on things because we're afraid we'll offend somebody. Dostoevsky, when he said this, when God doesn't exist, anything is possible. When God doesn't exist, anything is possible. Who would have thought, who would have thought that we would see a poster with a man holding a hand of a little boy right here in Colorado walking down, and it says it's just love, it's just love, and it stands for pedophilia. He said, when God doesn't exist, anything is possible. That's where we are. Three times in the book of Romans, chapter 1, it tells us that God gave them up. Until finally he gave them up, the third time he gave them up to a debased mind, a reprobate mind. He gave them over to a mind that they could not distinguish with what's good and what is evil. And that's what we've got today. That's what we've got. You know, we live in these times, and, and, and you know, I, I don't know. We, we're no longer living in the time of Huntley Brinkley or some of you don't even know who I'm talking about, or Walter Cronwright, where you turn on the news and you've got what happened. You know, I'll have that. Niemöller was later arrested and sent to prison for what was called hate speech. What we're seeing in America, the truth is rejected in the public square that life is cheapened with abortion and euthanasia. The promotion of all forms of immorality, including homosexuality, we've been taking God out of the picture and determined what marriage is and what's not. We even put a, put a rainbow on the White House, even though that rainbow belongs to my Father in Heaven as His promise to us that He would never, ever again flood the earth. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I don't know what the majority of our country believes. I don't know that they believe that as their pathway of history is strong with the wrecks and the debris and the ruins of nations that didn't follow that principle, because sin is a reproach to any nation. If we're to live in a land of freedom and peace, then we cannot be like 
the ostrich with her head in the sand, thinking and hoping that this nothing will happen, we'll just go away. I'll just stay in my place, you stay in your place, and everything will be fine. It won't happen that way. And I'm convinced that that, that our vote will not, you know, convinced that our vote will not matter or count when Adolf, you know, some people are convinced that. They say, well, my vote will count. I just am one person. I want to have, listen, Adolf Hitler was elected with one vote. George Bush was elected back in, I don't know exactly when it was, of 537 votes he became president of the United States. Your vote won't count. I wish I didn't have to say this, but we're in a battle, and the battles are our very lives and the lives of our children. Maybe you feel comfortable right now, but I look and I see my grandchildren, and I look and I think about what they're going to be facing in 15 or 20 years from now, and I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm praying and hoping that the Lord will come back and get us out of here before it's too late. The Apostle Paul admonished us to remember that our Lord endured and He endured it for you. He said this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 4. Uh, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Least you become weary and discouraged in your soul. He's saying, consider the fact of what Jesus went through for you. And then he goes on to verse 4 and he says this. He says, you, he's talking to you and I, you have not resisted unto blood striving. What does he mean by that? We've not been killed. We've not had to shed our blood yet. We've not done that, even though it could happen. While many of our brothers and sisters in other places are dying for the cause of Christ, we're living in a time that more people have died for the cause of Christ than any other time in history. We've gotten to the place because we have been a nation of prayerlessness. How do we get to... I mean, I look at some of these people on television and debate and some of the other things that, you know, and some of the other things going on, and I think... Look up there and they see this, and they're thinking, This is the best we've got in, in our nation. Is this the best we've got? And why is it that we don't have godly people in place? Because we've not prayed for godly people. We as a church have, have no one to blame but ourselves. The, the instrument, the Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God, able to bring down strongholds. And the stronghold that Satan hides behind, we're able to do that if we will just pray and seek his faith. But it says over in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and I want you to look at this. It says, therefore, I exhort first. Listen to what God tells us. He says, therefore, I exhort first. He's saying first, above everything else, of all the supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving to faith, be made for all men. That we, that we pray for our president, that we pray for our senators and our house representatives, that we pray for other people. We pray for those people that are going into public. And we pray for the, 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 the commissioners and the mayor and all these other people. That we pray for them. And you know why we need to pray for them? Look what it says in verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority. Then he says this, that we might lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like my life has been disrupted enough. I mean, I, I do. I feel like that, I don't know when, but over and over again. And, and the other day, I was walking around, and I just felt such a, 
oppression, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, on me. And, and, and I really come to a place I realize it's all this stuff that we're just, our air is just filled with all this negativity and all this stuff. Live a quiet, peaceful life. If we don't vote, we don't take a stand, you and I will not be able to live a quiet, peaceful life. We're begging people to exercise their constitutional right and vote. And yet in other lands, when people are given the right to vote, places like Iraq, that they dodge bullets and landmines to have the privilege to vote. And we just got to walk in there and vote. Now, some say that discussion of elections or politics should not be talked about in the church. And the reason they say is that the Constitution says separation of church and state. Number one, the Constitution doesn't say that. Okay? Let me say it again. The Constitution does not say that we are to have the separation of church and state. It doesn't say that. In fact, uh, you know, and, and so, so secular atheists that have hidden agendas use that as too many have, have, have been bought into that lie. Separation of church and state was a phrase used by Thomas Jefferson in a letter that was written to the Danbury Baptist Church because they were being discriminated against. The church was being discriminated against, and he wrote a letter telling them that could not happen. But secular people have used this to take prayer and Bible reading out of public areas, and we've allowed this to happen. Thomas Jefferson's letter does not mean the separation of church and state, a separation from moral reasoning and public policy. Second, it does not mean a separation of religiosity informed the moral reasoning people from holding public office. Just because a person is a Christian or whatever and a devout Christian, that does, it doesn't mean that you cannot hold office. We need those people. We need those people in places like the Board of Education and other places. We need those people. You know? Second, it does not mean a separation of, of those things. How many times someone that is being questioned about their capability of public office is questioned if their religious views will get in their way? Listen, I hope their religious views do get in their way. Because that means simply that that person has some morality about them. You know? Has a moral character. So then, does the church have a responsibility to help those of the, the congregation to know who to vote for? Well, without telling the person, but I, but I believe that we have a responsibility to give information that will help them decide who to vote for. Then they can make up their mind. I believe it does. The person can make up their own mind. But as a pastor, I believe that I have a responsibility to help you to be informed. So when I say informed, what do I mean? I mean I want you to be able to be able to make a decision biblically. I'm not going to tell you whether to vote Democrat or Republican. I know there are preachers out there right now that are doing that. I don't think the Lord, the Lord has not given me uh, given me a freedom in that. He's not told me to do that. But what He has told me to do is that He wants you to vote biblically. To look at the candidates, to vote for the person who is the closest to what the Bible teaches and the record indicates what they what they believe. You may have to hold your nose sometimes when you go in there, but by the same token, vote biblically. Plato said this, The punishment suffered by the wise who refuse to take part in government is to live under a government of bad men. The 
once again, so that we might be able to live in Timothy, we might be able to live a quiet, peaceable life. So what are some of the biblical beliefs that I should be concerned with in this election that we're in? Let me just give you a few. There's a fierce battle being waged right now in this nation's classroom for the hearts and the souls of our children and Those who are passionately committed to the Judeo-Christian system of belief are lose, we're losing our kids right before our eyes. You raise your child up, you teach them morality, you teach them certain things. I'm telling you what, you send them off to most secular colleges or what, even, even, even some religious schools. You send them off, you know, let me tell you something, you may not get the same kid back. And is it any wonder that we say, well, young people today, they don't feel like the need for church. Because they've been brainwashed. In many states, they're being force-fed a radical curriculum that is godless, anti-American, and sexually perverse. We are rewriting history. And it was Karl Marx who said, if you can rewrite a people's history, you can control the future. And, we're re- and, and it's anti-American, and listen to this, it's sexually perverse. I believe there's a time we educated a child to the maximum of their ability and helped them to make good, sound, educated decisions for their life. I believe today in many states, children are being manipulated and programmed for a specific outcome. We need to get involved in our children's education and find out what they're being taught. Show up at your teacher's class or your child's classroom. Find out what they're teaching. second thing is this, the sanctity of human life. Listen to this. All life is sacred. And it's a gift from Almighty God. But as you know, America has a blood of innocence on its hands. Since 1973, more than 60 million babies have been murdered. And I mean murdered. For abortion and countless lives have ended in euthanasia. And let me just say this to you. How can God not listen to us? And I will say this to you. This is American politics. And now we, we have senators and representatives who stand and support late-term abortion, even after the baby is born. And when they passed in New York this, uh, this late-term abortion thing, they stood and they applauded. Listen, if this doesn't touch your heart, I don't know what will. Amen? Here's the third thing. Marriage and family. The family is God's original building block for society. And I'm telling you, your family is under attack. Marriage continues to serve as a foundation for every dimension of human life. Everything of value rests on it, including procreation and the care and the training of children. The powerful and highly funded forces, including LGBTQ and whatever letters it goes behind that, and other leftist entities, are determined to destroy the family as an institution. What do these candidates stand on? Some of them are afraid. Pedophilia now in some states is being looked at as being okay. Fourth thing is religious freedom or religious liberty. The first item listed in the Bill of Rights addresses the issue of religious liberty. All the other enumerated rights flow from that fundamental freedom. To 
That's why it's alarming to recognize that this right to worship and honor God as we choose is under vicious attack today. The courts have done the greatest damage, but now an entire subculture is trying to bring down the Christian faith. Whether you want to believe it or not, it's at your front door. This kind of concern was the primary reason that led to the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War of 1776. No place has it shown up more than during the time of the coronavirus. State government shutting down churches, even telling them they can't sing, sending law enforcement officers down in Georgia to arrest and find people who are going to church. California, one church is fined $50,000 per week for having church. John MacArthur's church threatened to cut water and electricity off. What are you doing about that, please? I'm probably already in trouble, so I might as well go all the way. Look at what it says in, in Hebrews 10, 25. And, and the Lord, I've been thinking about this more and more. Look what it says in Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see that day approaching. Now, you know, sometimes God takes scripture and he puts them for a time. It, 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 it can be for all time, but yet. He specifically takes scriptures many times, and he puts it for a such a time as this. For instance, in the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, chapter nine, verse uh, uh, twenty. Uh, what I, I don't know what I gave this picture. Daniel nine, verse twenty-six. Is what it is. Daniel nine, verse twenty-six. Here's what it says: And after these sixty-two weeks, it's talking about Jesus, and he's given them when Jesus is going to die on the cross. And after the sixty-two weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be the flood, and the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, here's what he's saying to us. He's saying to us simply that the Messiah is going to be cut off. How was the Messiah cut off? He was crucified. But notice this. He couples this also, and how we know that Jesus was the Messiah, one of the ways, is it goes on to say, and, and, and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, when did the sanctuary get destroyed? It was destroyed in 70 A.D. When the Romans came in and destroyed it. Jesus died 33 A.D. Here comes, here comes the Romans in and they destroyed it just 27 years after this. Or 37 years, but it was 38. It comes in. And so here's these two things together. Well, I started thinking about Hebrews 10. And God is telling us in this time that we're not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves. Is it possible that the God, the God of the Bible wrote this Scripture not only for all time, but He wrote it specifically for our time because He told us there's coming a time when they're not going to want you to go to church. There's coming a time when they're going to try to prevent you to get in the house of God. And is he saying to us simply, and why do you say that, Lee? Because as you see, look what it says. As you see, what? What? The day doing what? Approaching. He's saying to us, as he's saying to us, before I get ready to come, there's coming a time that they're going to try to prevent you to go to church. 
and that you're not to prevent, you're not to forsake the assembling together of yourself as a manner of some, because as a result of that, I'm fixing to come. And I also want you to know, why do we come? Why do we need this assembly? People say, I can stay home watching on TV. Yeah, you can. I'm thankful for those people watching. But there's nothing that can accept, can, can, can come in and be like it is being in His house. Why? Because Jesus promised you that where two or three are gathered together in His name, there He would be in the midst. Jesus is here this morning. Not only that, the Bible also teaches that His holy angels are here this morning. But I want you to also look at this verse again. But exhorting one another. Why are you here to, to exhort one another? As people look at you and they see faith in you as you trust God, they, they build them up exhorting one another to get to the place that we, we're walking with Him. So I, you know, I, I just believe the Lord gave us that verse for this time. Now here we go, and, and, and here's, I've just got a few more of these and I'll quit. But capitalism versus... Here's another area you need to look at. Capitalism and socialism. We're hearing about socialism so much. Let me ask you this question. What was the, what was the, leading, what was the number one country in 1955 that had the greatest standard of living of any country in all the world? 1955, who had the greatest standard of living... In 1955, of, it's specifically proven. Venezuela. But they came in, they took it over, produced socialism, and look where they are today. There are people there that are eating their pets. That's how bad it is. And we want socialism. You know? It is difficult to believe that for the first time in American history, our nation appears to be thinking about trading our democratic way of life for tyranny of socialism. Our way of government was designed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's true that 40% of millennials and others are prepared to surrender their liberties in exchange for the absolute authority of the state. I don't want somebody telling me everything. No, you do that. Democracy and capitalism have made our life the most powerful, successful nation in the history of the world. Are we willing to settle the system that we served that we served us for 243 years? What they call for three steps. But the Bible also teaches if you don't work, you don't eat. That Jesus believed in God. Read Matthew 25. He, he talks about the he talks about the, the uh, talents. He said he gave one guy five. He gave one guy two. He gave one. He needed them all alike. One five, one two, one. What did he do? Then the one that had one, he what did he give it to? The guy had five because he didn't work. The sixth thing is, did you did so? 
you go back and you look at some of those terrible laws on the books, you know that the Jesus judicial overreach has almost ruined the whole thing. You know, there's a book, and I wish I could remember it. Maybe Jesse can remember it. I can't remember the book. It's a historical record of the Old Testament. It's like Josephus, but it's not. And it's written in the book of in the book of Jasher. And here's what it says. It says that in, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, this is a whole, it's not scriptural, it's not anointed, but it's a historical book. It says in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah that those judges in that day, it, that as, it says it's as defined by the judges that a man could take another man and lay with him in the public square. Definition. You know, again and again, we they have overstepped their authority and brought atrocities such as abortion, home demand, same-sex marriage, so-called separation of church and state, which doesn't appear in the Constitution. Listen, laws were made for the safety of its citizens. Let me say it again. Laws were made for the safety of its citizens. Laws, judicial laws, were never made to appease somebody or a group of people because that's how it makes them feel good. And that's what the difference is. We're no longer making laws from the standpoint of, 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 of doing it for the best for our country. No, it's not done that way. Recently, the Supreme Court handed down one of its most egregious rulings in Bostock versus Clayton County. And the decision was not based on constitutional law, but on the whims of six judges. We created a new definition of sex out of thin air. Lawyers tell us this ruling will affect every dimension of culture and haunt this nation. You know, listen, don't vote for politicians who will expand rather than limit the power of the judiciary. Finally, the last thing is this. God has told us, Scripture tells us, that those who bless Israel will be blessed. And over in Genesis 12. And, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. Our prayer is the next chief of executive officer will continue to promote and cultivate a vibrant bond of friendship with the nation of Israel and, and our, as an ally in the Middle East. Today it appears anti-Semitism is on the rise. But at closing, let me just say this. President or senators represent are not our Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord, and we look to Him as our Lord and soon coming King. I've never preached a message like this before in my life, in all the 30 years of past, but I believe that we have never faced an election like this in our lifetime. This election is, is, is as important as an election of 1868-1864 when Abraham Lincoln was elected. And if you remember his address in, at Gettysburg, with malice towards none, he brought this 
country together. I believe if Abraham Lincoln had not been elected, we would have a northern America and a southern America. That's what I believe. That's how important this lesson is. And I further believe that it will determine whether or not we live in peace or not. Whether we live lives that are quiet and peaceful lives. And I believe every Christian will go and vote that we will come out and discuss that. I'm thinking simply we'll pray about who you're going to vote for. But be informed. That's the purpose. That is the purpose of what this message is about. You look and you be informed. And more important than that, you know what a great privilege that we have in our country to be able to do this. And I hope and pray that by next, not this coming season, but the season after that, all this mess will be over. messages, I do messages.